Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to the Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. If this is the first time you are tuning in with us, we are back to regular scheduled programming. And what you should do is you should go to quickfs.net, use the software that Jeff and I use every single day, the website that we use every single day to pull long-term financial data. We actually are going to be using it in this podcast. Uh, so if you want to get access to that, go to quickfs.net when you do sign up because it's so great that you're going to. Uh, tell them that you came from Focus Compounding. Helps everything that we do here on the podcast. And if you want to support us, uh, that is a good way to do it. Uh, wherever you are listening or watching us, be sure to hit that subscribe button. We are back three podcasts a week. We're committed to it. We're back. So <laughs> uh, thank you so much to tuning in. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about what happens if you get a company with low growth, but the company's capital allocation plan is to buy back a lot of its stock. So Munger has said before that if he were to, I think, start out today or just he gave advice on investing in general, he said, focus on the cannibals. So these businesses mm -hmm. that buy back a lot of their stocks, he said, carefully study spinoffs and watch what other investors buy and sell via 13Fs, other smart investors. Um, so we're going to hit on that first part today, the cannibals. We've done a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos about buybacks in general. But, you know, it's always interesting to me. And again, it's like, let's put the world in perspective right now, right? Okay. Because we're in this world with hyper growth in stock prices, maybe mm -hmm. not businesses, but like multiples and stuff like right. that. I was listening to a podcast of a venture capitalist. He was talking about the multiples that they are seeing. And this is pre, let's say this was probably around Thanksgiving. I think things have mm -hmm. kind of changed a little bit. I know markets okay. are still at all time highs, but I do think um, that is all really, you know, sort of the reflection of a couple companies. But let's just say in general, he was saying that the average multiple of ARR, annual reoccurring revenue, in the venture capital space is 100 times. 100 times. Okay. So if you do a million dollars in revenue, annual reoccurring revenue, you're raising money at a $100 million valuation. If you do $10 million, you are raising money at $1 billion. Now, a lot of the storied stocks from COVID have kind of come back to life a little bit. I know you don't really see that in the markets, but you know, this whole idea of just everything that's going on going on right now, I thought it would be interesting just to really talk about what does a low growth stock mm -hmm. that is just consistent and predictable, but they buy back a lot of their stock, what does that look like? And typically when we talk about these types of situations, the companies that always get brought up, AutoZone, VeriSign, NVR, right? NVR right. is like one of the most popular ones. But so I just, this thought just came to my mind because, you know, somebody would, had talked about how AutoZone is basically, uh, you know, how their stock has performed. And I thought it would be fun to really just look at other ones. But mm -hmm. somebody actually gave me this chart. And if you're watching on YouTube, uh, they said the total stock returns of this handful of companies on the screen right now, they gave the share count change. So the negative meaning these companies are the quote unquote cannibals. So they're right. buying back their stock. And then the sales growth. 
So one thing that I thought was interesting, and again, you know, you could say, oh, this is just a small sample size or whatever, and that is very much true. But this company caught my eye, Illinois Toolworks right here. Right. Yeah. And the reason why it caught my eye is because the sales growth has actually been negative. And we could pull it mm-hmm. up on QuickFS, but the total stock return over the past 10 years has been 556%. Right. So something that I thought was interesting, because just to put the this whole different way of investing, which I think I almost feel like we're like the most non-sexy way how to invest, right? Because everything that's going on now, like with Robinhood and all these traders and NFTs and, you know, all these hyper growth stocks and stuff like that, how you could still make a ton of money and do very well and probably over time will do better. Just focusing on predictable companies and growth doesn't mean, you know, 50% per year Mm -hmm. where you're having to buy these companies at insane um, multiple. So we could type this in right here because i just thought it was interesting ticker itw and you could see from this chart if you're watching on youtube that the 10-year kager in revenue was negative two percent um return on equity everything you know looks very predictable everything looks very Mm -hmm. great so negative two percent in revenue do we get a 10-year kager 10-year kager on eps was 8.3 percent right and that translated in a market cap. Of course, this is in a bull market from 2011, going from 22.5 billion to about 64.5 billion today. So I don't know, just this idea of companies that are able to actually buy back a lot of their stock and what that can do to the business and how, you know, when you're looking and filtering through different companies, you don't need businesses that are growing revenue and eps and everything by you know 20 30 40 percent a year that people are paying 20 30 40 times sales for in the public markets you know i think it's different in venture in my opinion if you're gonna pay and i get i know this sounds crazy but if you're gonna pay like 100 times annual recurring revenue mm-hmm. maybe that's a little bit different for a company that maybe you like the product they call it the product market fit too maybe it's growing a lot and you could see how it could go from a million in sales to, you know, a hundred or whatever. Right. But companies are going public a lot later nowadays, right? right. I mean, mm-hmm. I think gone are the days, at least in the near term, where you're able to, you know, buy Amazon because they went public, you know, very early for two or three dollars per share. Companies right. are just going public way later, the the life cycle of it. So I don't know. I think it's different if you're gonna pay at that you know, stage of the company, a higher multiple versus a company that's already worth $50 billion and you're paying 40 times sales for it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we could look at a few different companies. I mean, generally stock buybacks in general, these companies that are cannibals, they buy back a lot of their own stock. I mean, what are your thoughts on doing that as uh, a capital allocation strategy? Well, I like it if the companies, well, I like it because one, if I'm buying the stock, then I think the stock's cheap. So I'm always in favor of buybacks instead of dividends. If if the stock was expensive, I would just sell the stock. Um, it works well for companies that have consistent free cash flow and don't have someplace to put it. Uh, you know, I've invested in the past in companies that did that kind of thing. FICO, Dun & Bradstreet, uh, IMS Health. Uh, you know, in the case of like IMS Health, Dun & Bradstreet, I probably wouldn't have done it if they weren't buying back stock. Um, so, and it's obviously something that Buffett has done, uh, and it's the biggest change when he's involved with the company, uh, Washington Post, Geico, that he wanted them to buy back a lot of stock, but also even in things that were shorter term investments for him or didn't work out, IBM, 
um, General Dynamics, they were shrinking and buying back stock, you know. So it's obviously a thing that he did a lot of. Um, for mature companies, it often makes a lot of sense. But the problem is eventually they do buybacks at higher prices. Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, that's the problem when you look at something like this. If you have a high multiple, uh, it doesn't work very well. So if you have a low multiple and a lot of buying back stock, you get the benefit of the multiple expanding over time and you get a high return on your buybacks. If you buy one of these when their multiple is high, it really may not work out well because almost no one does like the Teledyne approach of sometimes you're buying back stock, sometimes you're issuing, sometimes you're acquiring. That you don't see. It's more consistently one thing or the other. I was going to say, it almost seems like they have like it on autopilot. Mm -hmm. What about when they just buy back stock to basically offset share dilution? Or like stock options and stuff like right. that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I I don't like that um, so much. I don't think that's a real buyback. Uh, and yeah. that does affect things like the EBITDA. Uh, you know, when you see just EBITDA and free cash flow, a lot of times you'll hear me say a free cash flow number that's different. And the reason for that is if you look at the free cash flow, for some companies, a lot of it is coming from the stock compensation stuff, which is counting as um, cash from operations. But really, uh, that ends up being that they either buy back the stock right to offset that which means that you don't really have the cash or your share count goes up over time so really it's not something you want to count as being earned what about because the majority of our listeners probably fish in like the micro or small cap pond yeah i mean if you get a micro cap for example that's buying back a lot of its stock do you view that as the company saying hey we don't have anywhere else to almost like Mm -hmm. pursue growth in a way yeah uh, that's possible. I think it means a lot more if a microcap stock is buying back its stock. It's harder to do. It can dry up liquidity. It's very rare for microcap stocks to do it. So I would take it as a stronger signal if they were doing it. Now, a lot, though, do buybacks with um, particular groups. Uh, and so not just buying in the public markets where they're actually buying out certain people and stuff like that. And that's a little different. I, that's not always a positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's look at a few other. Do you know of any micro caps or small caps off the top of your head that have bought back a lot of their their stock? Um, well, so a good example of one that hasn't grown much and has bought back stock is Jewett Cameron, uh, which we talked oh, about, yeah, yeah. which I wrote up. Yeah. Now, was this... They They're now talking about issuing stock. I don't know if they will, but they oh, said really? they might. Yeah. Yeah, they said they might. I think that's why... Uh, what's the stock price right now? My guess is that's $8 why the stock dropped a few dollars. Yeah. It's probably because of that. In the last quarter, they said they might issue stock, which is something new. Um, it's also interesting. There was a, uh, I mean, there have been a few studies that I've read about how, for the overall market in countries, whether the uh, supply of stock is a major factor in returns. Uh, and there's been some work done that's kind of interesting that maybe when there's a lot of new sh- new uh, public companies, new shares being issued, all of that, that you get poor returns in the market over, uh, you know, uh, decades. And when you have the opposite happening, you have a contraction in the available shares because the same amount of people are trying to invest, um, you have much higher returns. And for the time that I've been investing till about now, with the exception of a little bit in the dot-com uh, period, uh, there've been fewer public companies, fewer shares out, uh, you know, net companies were buying back stock. So the amount of shares was going down, the supply was going down while demand was up, you know, to invest. And now that's kind of changed with, uh, a lot of share issuance by often not as great companies and stuff. There's a difference here. We're not seeing a lot of share issuance by like big established companies. 
but you are in the smaller space seeing a lot from companies that don't have a lot of earnings. Mm -hmm. Do you ever use companies that buy back their stock as almost like a filtering or a screening process? Do you think companies should do that? And why do you do that? Yeah, I do. Um, And also special dividends. Those are two things that are very uh, strong signs to me. Special dividends lately, I'd say special dividends are stronger sign than buybacks. But among microcap stocks, consistent buybacks are a pretty strong signal too. Uh, big stocks, I don't think it's a real strong signal, you know, nowadays. Although some companies do it like at such an extreme rate, at such a not extreme rate, but with such consistency mm-hmm. um, that it's a little different. And we can see that with this one, Verisign. Yeah, you could see there. You could look at their share count. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way to do is a share count. Uh, so from in 2011, it was 167 million shares outstanding and uh today it's about 115 million they basically take all majority of their free cash flow and just buy back their stock right yeah we could see so yeah i mean look at so in 2020 they generated 730 million in cash they used about 43 million on capex and invest in 50 million on investments but they bought back 777 million worth of their stock yeah and i think there is a difference for very liquid stocks and very illiquid ones that uh, encourages the liquid ones to do the buybacks because they see a good result from it over time with their stock price going up and everything. And with illiquid ones, I think that um, there's a tendency to be worried that you're drying up liquidity and stuff in it. And, and so that's why I think it's a stronger signal when you see it from companies that are don't have a lot of shares out doing it. Yeah, It's like with Callaway's, for example. We've mm-hmm. talked a little bit about that company. They don't buy back their stock but the way that they reward their shoulders is they do these just huge special dividends yeah and i do think that's the strongest sort of sign that's like a uh, like the way buybacks were 40 years ago or something or, or where they were uncommon and they were often like tender offers and things like that special dividends kind of fall into that category for me i was gonna say so special dividends meaning it's not just like something that's on autopilot it's hey we've Mm-hmm. earn a lot of cash this year and we're just going to return to shareholders yeah based on like the performance because if they didn't do too well for the years i mean like a lot of companies for example they could have a bad year but i mean f- take ge for example right for so long their dividend was so important to them and we've met other companies too in the yeah. micro cap space where their dividend is so important to them they love to put it in their micro small cap mm-hmm. large cap everything but they love to put in their press releases that they've paid a dividend consecutively for 50 plus years or whatever it is um but maybe to your point it's a sign of strength if a company consistently provides special dividends because that's like, hey, we're not on autopilot with this. We just had a great year and we on a payback cash to, to shareholders. Yeah, well, it shows that they have some idea of, uh, well, ones and sometimes it was tax efficiency. So there were special dividends that sometimes for tax reasons that usually shows there's a large owner at the company that wants that or that there are there's actual that they actually care about how much their shareholders will get taxed, which a lot of companies don't really care about. Um, It doesn't really affect their reported results, how much you're going to pay in taxes. Um, But then aside from that, with the tax law change that why you saw some special dividends uh, several years ago um, in more recent years, it's still an interesting sign because it tends to show that you think there's a certain level of capital that's appropriate. So some companies have recapitalized, like an LBO. They borrow a lot of money, they pay a special dividend. Um, you could do that into a buyback, but with a less liquid stock, you're probably gonna do the special dividend. And so that's, you're targeting a certain leverage ratio. 
And then you also see it with companies that realize they have too much capital. And so, um, cause they're companies that are very good results as a business and would be good investments, but because they hoard the cash mm -hmm. may not be, you know, we've talked about George risk and things like that, which also lowers their return on equity. Right. It lowers the return on equity yeah. and it tends to get the stock given a lower value for the two pieces, the investment part and the business than it would if it paid it out. And then you built up your own investment part. It's a little odd because sometimes when a, co a company, there's some companies, George Risk is a pretty good example where they pro probably invest like two thirds in stocks uh, that are pretty much close to like being in an index fund and a third in like municipal bonds or, or bonds of some kind. And uh, that's probably not that different than what a lot of their investors would have done with the money themselves. Mm -hmm. But the market values that a lot lower when it's inside a company than mm -hmm. they would if they held the money themselves. Almost as if they value it as, as a drag. On, on, Sometimes on it even stock. gets that yeah. extreme. Yeah. 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 So, so doing buybacks and special dividends, things like that, um, do show that you care about, uh, what is an appropriate capital level. And so it shows kind of that kind of financial engineering and worrying about that. And in micro cap stocks that are good businesses, one of the risks is that you have a poor, um, financial policy. And so it's, if a company avoids, it shows that they're, uh, that they care about maximizing the returns for investors, including using financing stuff, then, you know, that that's more attractive. It's more across the board that companies worry about that with big companies and also with liquid companies because they will do it themselves to avoid you know hostile raids and things like that they'll themselves think about whether they should buy back stock whether they should have certain debt levels things like that microcap stocks don't tend to worry as much about that mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on companies though like so I always feel like in larger companies, for the most part, mm -hmm. especially at the multiples that we're seeing in the market and stuff like that, if they announce like a huge buyback plan, it's almost like they do that to soften the bad news that they're about to release to the market. Yeah, I don't care about the buyback authorization and stuff like that and announcing the plan. A lot of companies announce plans that don't really get filled up. Um, I care about the overall drop in the share count over time. Mm -hmm. Or to be fair, you know, the amount that they use um usually i look cumulatively at like the last 10 years um like quick fs you can do that easily you can just add up how much free cash flow they actually generated and then see how much of that they put into different things and that's sort of the way i think about capital allocation uh, that only works if there's some consistency in who's running the company though you know but so some companies will put most of it into piling up cash uh paying down debt buying up a lot of property um whatever it might be and some do it through a lot of dividends some do it through a lot of buybacks and I don't really care if they're regular dividends or special dividends, just as long as they um, show a tendency not to just say um, continuously add to debt or continuously add to net cash position, you know, because then the returns would be lower, um, you, you know, than the business itself. Mm -hmm. So I guess in microcap land, then, I mean, specifically, I mean, what do you typically, what would catch your eye if you're looking at a company that'd be like, huh, that's kind of interesting. I like the way that that looks. Is it more so special dividends? Number one, special dividends, uh, buybacks. Um, if they, if a company buys back all the time, that's interesting. We've talked about those like Omnicom and things like that. They're constantly going to be buying back stock. Um, that gives you some predictability so that if the stock is cheap enough, you might be willing to buy it because you feel that you'll get a pretty good return. Even if the business is uh, not growing, you're basically going to be getting uh, much of your original purchase is then going to be sort of like a payment in kind. It's going to be buying more of the mm -hmm. stock for you at that multiple. So a stock like that at 20 times earnings, not attractive. 
But if it was at nine times or something, then it becomes attractive if you know most of it's going to go into buying back stock uh, and paying dividend. You get that yield. So same sort of thing. Um, special dividend, though, is the biggest one. Any pivoting in strategy that's really odd would be interesting. Um, so like I said, with recapitalizations and stuff, you see that with like Nathan's Famous. Oh, and, yeah, that's a good one. And um, so that's a one that is unusual in terms of what they've done over the years um levered up and bought back a lot of their stock right yeah so they do let's see where we can see it in the past to get some idea so you see net issuance of debt there um below that and then you can also see where they've um do they have information on does it capture special dividends too yeah special dividends so you can see that would be under um the third line down yeah so do you see there in 2015 was it Mm -hmm. you can see taking on it right that they cash pay for dividends yeah so they borrowed a lot of money and then paid it out Mm -hmm. yeah which is basically what like private equity would they bought for people listening they borrowed 135 million and paid out 115 of it in dividends to the shareholders right and that's the kind of thing that um i would like a company to do rather than being taken over was this be like the result of an activist campaign i'm just always curious like how did this come about i mean was it like a banker that came to them and said hey you can do this and your stock would go up i I don't know the situation here yeah i don't know all the details on what happened in that year about what they chose to do it's but it almost looks like if you're watching the screen so they did that in 2015 and then Mm -hmm. in 2018 they took out 150 million in debt and then they paid out um well it looks like they actually bought something so then they paid out 21 million of that in dividends uh, to shareholders. Yeah, and if you look at the business, um, you can see why they would do that kind of thing. Like you can see that um, in general, there's a little bit where they might have spent, I guess they opened a few stores, but there's very few company stores. So there's really not um, things that they could spend on in terms of property, plant, and equipment. Yeah, look at there. It's a very asset-like business. Yeah. So it's kind of a decision, I guess how I would put it is, they could have acquired other stuff, mm-hmm. right? Or they, you know, or expanded in some way, but basically bought some other restaurant concept or something, gone into that, something that takes capital because their core business, they just license out mostly and stuff. So that won't take capital. So they do have like a few of these. Uh, it's very small for them, but a restaurant business, but they could have bought another little concept or something like that and then invest in that. Or they could sell out either in a management led buyout or in some sort of um, LBO where they sell out. Um, and instead they do something like that themselves. Uh, there, I've been invested in plenty of companies where I wish they would have done that, stayed public and recapitalized themselves, uh, because you probably could have gotten similar returns to what private equity would have gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically pay you the capital back as opposed to either selling out the whole business or scaling or like investing in different business lines. Cause it's like, right. you know, for example, Rick's, which is a popular mm-hmm. stock that everybody talks about. Yeah. They have their gentlemen clubs, but then now they're also investing in the bombshells, right. the new restaurants and stuff like that. And they're trying to scale that. I mean, when you see a company that is kind of shifting gears a little bit with their capital allocation, but I mean, from listening to the CEO speak, I think he said if the company gets to like, I'll butcher the number, like a 12 or 15% free cash flow yield, they're going to buy back their stock. Mm-hmm. But does that something that you typically like to see? Don't like to see? Are you in the camp where you would rather them just pay you the capital and then you can invest it elsewhere yourself? Nope. Whatever has the highest return. Mm-hmm. I think the best sign for investing in a company usually is a change in capital allocation. You've said that before. Yeah. I think if you look at what triggers Buffett's investments, I think the most common thing is a change in capital allocation. It's the most important thing for me and why I would invest in a company that I hadn't before. 
would be you watch the business and everything, and then there's something about the capital allocation that's changed, which has attracted you. The other thing is just the price of the stock, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of something changing that isn't just the price of the stock, I would say a change in capital allocation. Um, uh, what's one? That, uh, investor's title insurance company you could do. Um, that's one that has changed its uh, what IT, it does with it. So if we look, we can look at cash flow statement um it's an insurance company so it's gonna be a little odd but just the bottom part is what we need to look at so if you look you can see that originally uh in the first part of the 2010s they were we don't have the that's up right now but i can tell you that from like 2011 to 2015 title insurers generally traded below book mm-hmm. coming out of the 2008 you know crash and and sometimes significantly below book uh, so it was attractive to buy back their stock. And if you look there, you can see that they have um, some spending on that sort of thing in the early days. Later on, though, you'll notice they didn't do huge buybacks. So if we look at the last few years, there's no large buybacks, even though there's lots of dividends. And those are special dividends. And those are significant because like um, recently, their special dividend was about 10% of their market cap. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a really big thing to do. And that's a good sign in both the buyback part of it and the special dividend part of it um if you're you know uh, to see that they would bring their capital levels down to a certain level that you think is appropriate for an insurance company and also that they would switch what they were doing there could be other reasons why they did that but certainly the buybacks in the early part of the period would be much more effective because if you go to key ratios uh, probably we could see the like price to book price to sales uh price to earnings you know so price to book is probably the best one to see basically the the multiples at least doubled you know Mm -hmm. so they were buying back stock at you know 0.75 times or something but weren't buying it back at two Mm -hmm. Uh, and that you know that makes sense there might be other reasons why they changed what they were doing but that's one that makes a lot um a lot of sense and the the combination of those together is really helpful when you see a business doing something like that. Yeah, so it's like they're not just on autopilot. They're strategically doing it, it looks like. Now, this is... And they were $75 million uh, company at the time they were doing uh, some buybacks. So Mm -hmm. even though those buybacks might not have been large, you know most $100 million companies have flat share counts or increasing share counts. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... But pretty... I mean, like 10%, right? $75 million market cap, and then they bought back... Not 10, obviously, but they bought back 6%. I mean, that's pretty sizable buyback. Right. And then the way that it's so on even... You know, Mm -hmm. in terms of what you see with... If you look with the dividends and the buybacks over time, it matches up a lot more if we look with like... um, Since it's an insurance company, it's hard to see with the cash flow from operations stuff. But if you look at like um, uh, income statement or something like that, you would get a better idea uh that it has a lot to do with um the size of the enterprise so you know when they're a lot when they're earning a lot more money there as you can see mm-hmm. then it increases about in line with that so you can see like the the um a, a significant portion of net income was paid out in special dividends and actually if you look back in the early 2010s a significant part of net income was used on stock buybacks it's just that net income is a lot higher now mm-hmm. So that's something that I like to see. And also, the, it's such a cyclical business that I prefer they not do a really high regular dividend. If they want to do a little token regular dividend, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But you don't want a really high regular dividend because, um, uh, you know, just that could threaten you in a time if you have a 2008 or something like that. And this is a company where the family owns right. a lot of the stock, right? Yeah, so I, the stock I wonder if that affects, you know, investing alongside those guys and gals if that affects it the right. way that you know 
you go into it where if you had a CEO, for example, that is just sort of a, a rent of CEO mm-hmm. and they have this huge cash pile, if they're like, well, I don't want to pay that out to the shareholders. But if you own a majority of the company, you're like, well, I'm the, I'm the owner and we own X percentage of this company, my family. So we're just kind of feeding the ducks ourselves. Yeah. But of course they could have retained it all. Uh, they have a stock portfolio and stuff. You could retain uh-huh. it all and invest it in stocks and things like that. Buffett in the same position would retain it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, from an insurance perspective, you could just build up really large amounts of investments inside the company. It's pretty efficient to do it that way. So other people who are more focused on the investing side would do that. So one of the things it probably shows you is they're not probably very investment focused that they wouldn't see themselves that way because otherwise they would build up a huge mm-hmm. portfolio. Yeah. What about, um, and see, well, that's an interesting insight to draw from like what they've done in the past. Um, what about companies that are controlled management owns a lot of the business and they do buy back their stock, which only increases their ownership in the business. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, it's not necessarily bad. Uh, a oh, much worse thing would be if the companies, which I really don't like, is companies buying back stock while insiders are selling. Um, and I said that sort of with the buying out certain people. Sometimes it's done to get rid of a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like green mail these days in that they're getting premiums and things like that, but they are provided liquidity to get out. And I mean, that's kind of what do that. this Juke Cameron trading company, Juke mm-hmm. Cameron trading company, that's what a, a huge part of their buyback was, right? A right. different CEO wanted to get out. Uh, sort of, yeah. Something like that. Um, because they, they're now mostly a foundation that owns most of it. So, yeah, exactly. People who were involved with the business before being bought out and stuff like that. Um, it benefits you the same way, I mean, as a shareholder. So it's not necessarily a problem to get rid of uh, others that way. Uh, you have to make the decision yourself if you think it was an attractive price. Mm-hmm. I think the issue with a company like that, as you'll see, is that they may feel that their buybacks um, are, are not creating value for them. In that we can see that their revenue and, you know, if you look at those lines, uh, it, it, this actually, I just want to show up on people's ideas of what they were talking to you about, but it's similar. Revenue and asset growth and all that's really low, whereas earnings growth is high. They bought back stock. Um, for the most part, they were able to increase earnings more than they increased uh, other stuff. I mean, this probably... <sighs> A lot of times a business like this will have a could easily have had a really bad 10-year record. They had other businesses that didn't really earn money but did take up assets and they kind of have de-emphasized or completely eliminated those businesses yeah, at the same time they they um have actually if you look like um so like book value per share for instance has more than doubled Mm -hmm. you know um at a company that grew revenue in line with probably inflation or something you know there's been some recovery in the um like cyclical recovery because it's a very cyclical stock but same sort of idea but if you look like at the multiples right they haven't been i mean really they haven't been rewarded with a particularly high multiple yeah, I guess it's a little bit better than like at a bad point in the cycle. They were really cheap, you know, 10 years ago. But other than that, I can't imagine that they're looking at it and saying, oh, buybacks and stuff were effective for us in, mm-hmm. in getting a higher multiple. Where Illinois Toolworks would think this leads to higher multiples. NVR or something would think this leads to higher multiples, that we get a benefit from that. And Buffett said that, that if you consistently do buybacks or good capital allocation, then eventually you also get a higher re-rating of it because yeah. management gets is seen as being um, more shareholder friendly and that sort of thing. And they get a higher multiple. Got it. 
Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us on the Focus Compounding Podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up, leave us a rating and review on the podcast side of things. That helps spread uh, the word. That's how the algorithm works. Uh, if this is the first time you're tuning in, go to QuickFS. This is the website that we use every single day. Uh, if you do sign up, tell them that you came from Focus Compounding. I'll thank everybody so much for the support, and we will see you in the next podcast.